Chapter One of Mormonism and Masonry by Samuel Goodwin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Craster. Historical. Early contact of Mormonism with Masonry. Nauvoo period. In the latter part of April, eighteen thirty-nine, the first steps were taken toward the establishment in Illinois of a semi-theocratic community under the leadership of Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet. Similar attempts had been made by this teacher of a new faith at Kirtland, Ohio, and at several points in the state of Missouri, all of which had come to a disastrous conclusion. The why of these failures does not lie within the province of these chapters. On the date named, certain of the Mormon leaders came up from Quincy, some fifty miles down the Mississippi River, whither they had fled from their troubles in Missouri, and definitely fixed upon a location for a new settlement. The site of this new Zion included the straggling village of Commerce. On the 1st of May, the initial purchase of land was made by a committee headed by Joseph Smith. Soon other extensive holdings were secured, and a year later, when a post office was established there, the postmaster general rechristened the place Nauvoo in deference to the wishes of the settlers. To this place the saints gathered in large numbers, coming especially from Missouri, where multiplied troubles had beset them. In consequence of this movement, Nauvoo experienced a phenomenal growth from those times. Within two years from the time the first land was secured by Joseph Smith, the population had grown from almost nothing to more than 3,000, and when Grandmaster Jonas instituted Nauvoo Lodge, March 15, 1842, between eight and 10,000 people made their homes there. Three years later, Nauvoo enjoyed the distinction of being the largest city in the state of Illinois, and, with the exception of St. Louis, it had no rival in the Northwest. These people came originally from the older sections of the country, and from foreign lands, more particularly from England, and were largely the fruits of the aggressive missionary policy which had distinguished this church from its inception. Among those who were attracted by the proclamations of this new evangel, were a number who were or had been members of the masonic fraternity prominent among these were dr john c bennett an ohio mason herber c kimball one of the first apostles and a trusted friend of joseph smith and brigham young who had received the degree in victor new york and hiram smith the prophet's brother who was also a new york mason early in the summer of eighteen hundred and forty one these Masons addressed a communication to Bodley Lodge No. 1, located at Quincy, in which they asked for the usual recommendation in order that they might establish a new lodge at Nauvoo. This request was denied, the reason assigned by Bodley Lodge being that, as these persons are unknown to this lodge as Masons, it was thought prudent not to do so. A recent writer informs us that not only was the recommendation withheld, but also that Bodley Lodge protested against the granting of a dispensation to the Nauvoo Brethren. However that may be, on October 15, 1841, ten days after the close of Grand Lodge, Grand Master Jonas issued his dispensation, authoring a lodge at Nauvoo, and five months later, March 15, 1842, he paid an official visit to that place and set the lodge to work. In this connection, it may not be amiss to note the fact in passing that the Grand Lodge of Illinois was barely one year old when the Nauvoo dispensation was issued, and that there were few, if any, over one hundred members in the constituent lodges of the state. 
the natural desire for increase of numbers may have had something to do in determining the action of grandmaster jonas in this case from the very first the movement to establish a masonic lodge in nauvoo appears to have been regarded with suspicion and distrust by masons elsewhere in the state more particularly by the members of bodley lodge number one at quincy this attitude may have been due in part at least to the tales and rumors of misdoings which had followed the mormons from ohio and missouri but there were other factors the history of the period now under review points unmistakably to certain political religious social and personal forces and considerations which were not without a positive and a very great influence on the character and fortunes of the mormon lodges and which did much to shape masonic opinion concerning those lodges and their membership at the risk of a seeming digression space must be given here to a consideration of some of these elements of the situation for otherwise we shall find ourselves without either clue or background among the sinister forces of the time which reacted unfavorably politics played no inconspicuous part with the rapid increase of population at the mormon centre came a realization on the part of the politicians of the state that the mormon vote was a factor that must be reckoned with and the concern of the leaders of the two political parties was in no way lessened when they discovered the fact that for all practical purposes the leaders of the church could turn the mormon vote to the one party or the other as their plans or needs might dictate if there lingered any doubt on the score in the minds of any it must have been set at rest when the prophet unequivocally declared that he and his people would support the men and party who were friendlier to their interests as a result both whigs and democrats sought by acts of kindness and promises of help to win the support nor were the leaders of these religionists slow in making use of their power at the general conference of the church held early in october eighteen hundred and forty it was decided to petition the state legislature to incorporate the town of nauvoo and a committee of three including joseph smith and dr john c bennett were selected to draft the necessary petition and bill these documents were taken to springfield by bennett who appears to have been a shrewd lobbyist in december of that year when presented the bill seems to have met no opposition it passed the lower house with only one or two dissenting votes and the senate with none at all indeed we are informed by a recent writer that in the house of representatives the bill was not even read except by title yet there were in the assembly at the time such men of later national prominence as john a logan lyman trumbull and abraham lincoln and stephen a douglas then secretary of state of illinois and leader of the democratic party used his influence to expedite the passage of the bill the act granting the charter to nauvoo was signed by governor carlin december sixth eighteen hundred and forty this charter which includes charters for the nauvoo legion and the university of the city of nauvoo was of a most extraordinary character the only restrictions placed on the city council was that no law should be passed which was repugnant to the constitution of the united states or the constitution of the state among other usual powers granted by this remarkable instrument was that of issuing writs of habeas corpus by the municipal court this feature as the sequel shows was a dangerous provision it was so liable to abuse and it was abused it was the misuse of such writs that brought the city and state authorities into conflict fed the fires of hatred and opposition and furnished a pretext for mob action about the time that the nauvoo masons were taking the initial steps in the organization of the lodge judge stephen a douglas then one of the justices of the state supreme court 
and located at quincy visited nauvoo addressed the people was entertained by joseph smith and while there appointed dr john c bennett master in chancery as noted above douglas had aided in securing the passage of the act of incorporation for nauvoo and had thereby won the gratitude of the saints his action in the present instance increased the favor with which he was regarded by joseph smith and the people but it brought upon him the unsparing criticism of his political opponents and from this the people whom he had so signally favored did not entirely escape indeed so caustic was the criticism leveled at douglas by one paper the warsaw signal that joseph smith in a vitriolic communication addressed to the editor of that paper ordered his subscription cancelled on another occasion not long after the nauvoo lodge had been set to work douglas adjourned court in order that he might visit nauvoo and witness the review of the nauvoo legion in connection with the elections of that fall joseph smith published an article in which he declared that the mormon people did not care a fig for whig or democrat that they all looked alike and that he would support those who had shown themselves to be friends of the mormons adding douglas is a master spirit and his friends are our friends we are willing to cast our banners on the air and fight by his side in the gubernatorial election which resulted in the choice of thomas ford for governor the situation had become so tense that the opposing candidate joseph duncan felt justified in making opposition to the mormons one of the chief planks of his platform the curious who may be desirous of seeing to what lengths politicians were willing to go in those days to secure support of the prophet and his followers are referred to some of the speeches made before political conventions in illinois during the early forties enough has been said above to indicate somewhat of the methods employed by the politicians of those days and the sacrifices they were willing to make for party advantage the effort to win the saints to support of one political party or the other continued to be a factor in their affairs as long as they remained in nauvoo and it was this rivalry to secure their political adherence that made it possible for them to obtain such unusual favors and to wield the influence they did in political affairs and it was this rivalry that made them alternately courted and hated by those who would use them another factor which at first blush might seem to be rather remote from the subject but which none the less militated against the masonry of nauvoo developed in the county to the south of that in which the city of the saints was located some time previous to the date upon which grandmaster jonas issued his dispensation to the nauvoo brethren a campaign was begun to secure the removal of the county seat from quincy to columbus quincy was the home of bodley lodge while grandmaster jonas lived in columbus naturally the grandmaster was in favor of the proposed change while quite as naturally the prospect of losing the county seat did not commend itself to the people of quincy and the membership of the masonic lodge there a good deal of bitterness was engendered as a result and feeling ran so high that when the grand master sent communications to the quincy papers in advocacy of the changes those reflectors of public feeling and opinion refused to print them not to be baffled in his purpose to carry on the fight grand master jonas and some of his friends went to st louis purchased the necessary printing outfit shipped it to columbus and began the publication of the columbus advocate the very name of which indicated the purpose for which it was established while this furnished the grand master with a medium through which he might express his views it did not tend to mollify the feelings of the people of quincy one result was apparently that the members of bodley lodge lost no opportunity to embarrass the grand master and the lodge minutes and the proceedings of grand lodge show 
how this situation reacted unfavorably on the Nauvoo lodges. But while the machinations of slanderous politicians and the venom and ill feelings engendered in an extraneous squabble over a county seat were each influential in the affairs of Nauvoo and its masonry, neither was as baleful in its effects or as portentous of evil for all concerned as were certain events which even then were taking place within the community itself exactly one month previous to the visit of judge douglas to nauvoo when he appointed john c bennett master in chancery viz april fifth eighteen hundred and forty one joseph smith took his first plural wife while this so far as the available records show was the first instance of the practice of polygamy or the great and glorious principle of plural marriages the doctrine had been taught by smith to certain of his followers fully ten years earlier according to the records the principle was first impressed upon the mind of the prophet in eighteen hundred and thirty one and from the same sources we learn that immediately he made it known to a few of his close personal friends that they in turn passed it on to certain others although the revelations on plural marriage as it appears in doctrines and covenants was committed to writing july twelfth eighteen hundred and forty three at which time Joseph Smith had not less than twelve plural wives, and other leaders of the church had followed the prophet in this practice. It was not officially proclaimed as a doctrine of the church until some years subsequent to the settlement in Utah. A moment's digression at this point may be justified by the interesting fact that as late as 1865, Brigham Young, in conversation with a prominent visitor who was a political figure of national importance at the time, gave the impression that he was responsible for the revelation on plural marriage. As reported to the journal of Schuyler Colfax, the president of the church declared that the revelation of the doctrine and covenants declared for monogamy, but that polygamy was a later revelation commanded by God to him and a few others and permitted and advised to the rest of the church. It is a matter of record that Joseph Smith began teaching this principle actively though with great caution in the year following the settlement at nauvoo at first he confided it only to his closest friends and those in whom he had absolute confidence and not to them until he had exacted the most solemn promise of secrecy for it was not yet lawful to utter this teaching in the hearing of the multitude he did however venture to test the feelings of the people concerning this doctrine some time prior to the return of the apostles from europe viz before july first eighteen hundred and forty one on the occasion named he preached a sermon on the restoration of all things in which he strongly hinted that the patriarchal or plural order of marriage as practiced by the ancients would again be established we learn that this statement created great excitement and consternation among those who heard the discourse delivered at a morning service so much so in fact that the prophet deemed it wisdom in the afternoon to modify his statement by saying that possibly the spirit had made the time seem nearer than it really was when such things would be restored from the evidence at hand it appears that while at this time that is during the first half of the year eighteen hundred and forty one knowledge and acceptance of the doctrines of a plurality of wives were confined to the leaders and principal men in the church and that not all of them had been enlightened on the subject within two years information on the subject had been quite generally disseminated among the people to believe that such a revolutionary practice could be taught and indulged in for any considerable length of time and have a knowledge of the fact limited to those for whom it was intended would place too great a tax upon our credulity and would flatly contradict the teaching of experience concerning human nature the presence of apostates in the community and in adjoining settlements 
some of whom had stood high in the councils of the church would preclude the possibility of maintaining secrecy gradually knowledge of what was going on in respect to plurality of wives percolated throughout the community and was taken up and given trumpet voice by the enemies of the church here too the fact should be noted that while it appears to have been a matter of common belief that the leaders of the church were practising polygamy those same leaders did not hesitate to deny directly and by implication that such was the case this conflict between the teaching and practices of joseph smith and others was used with effect by those who for one reason or other had entered the lists against the mormons when referring to this feature a present-day historian and member of the church declared that wicked men took advantage of the situation and brought sorrow to the hearts of the innocent and reproach upon the church a single incident that occurred but a few months before the prophet's death must suffice to illustrate what not unfairly might be characterized as double dealing it seems that an elder of the church who had been instructed in the doctrine of a plurality of wives had been sent up to lapier county michigan whatever the directions he may have received from the church authorities as to the use to be made of this teaching his zeal appears to have outran his wisdom he publicly proclaimed the principle with the result that the greatest excitement ensued upon learning the facts joseph and hiram smith prepared and published the following in the church paper notice as we have lately been credibly informed that an elder of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints by the name of hiram brown has been preaching polygamy and other false and corrupt doctrines in the county of lapier state of michigan this is to notify him and the church in general that he has been cut off from the church for his iniquity and he is further notified to appear at the special conference on the sixth of april next to answer to these charges joseph smith hiram smith presidents of said church yet at this time when this notice was published the prophet was the husband of not less than twenty plural wives it might be noted in passing that the matter of elder brown's delinquencies was only remotely hinted at by joseph smith at the april conference and the people were told that if they expected that matters of a petty trivial character were to be considered they were doomed to disappointment instances of denial that polygamy was either taught or practised at nauvoo or elsewhere occur not infrequently in the literature of the church even some years after the death of the prophet it appears however that such statements and even the paragraphs in doctrine and covenants which deal with monogamy are not to be regarded as denials of the principle by church authorities but rather as an evasion to satisfy the popular clamour undoubtedly the disaffection of dr john c bennett which occurred early in may eighteen hundred and forty two and more to do with focusing attention upon the practice of polygamy by joseph smith and others than any other one event it is immaterial for our purpose how this man is to be regarded he appears to have been a very devil or a gentleman and a scholar according to the point of view of the writer this much is beyond dispute he told the truth and not wicked lies about joseph when he declared that the prophet taught doctrine in secret which he dare not make public and that he preached one thing in public and practised another in private and further that he stated facts when he declared in his book the history of the saints that joseph smith at that time eighteen hundred and forty two had plural wives including louisa beeman it is equally beyond controversy that bennett was in a position to greatly injure the prophet and no less true that he used his power to the utmost in fact it has been asserted by a recent writer that more than any other influence or person 
he was responsible for the downfall of the Mormon church in Illinois. For something like a year and a half, Bennett had been in a position to know the inner counsels of the leaders of the church, for he was in fact one of those leaders. When he became a member of the church, he was a quartermaster general of the state of Illinois. He helped to draft the famous charters and the bill for the incorporation of Nauvoo, and himself carried them up to Springfield and urged the passage of the act. He had been the first mayor of Nauvoo under the new charter, was second in command of the Nauvoo Legion, was made master in chancery by Judge Stephen A. Douglas, and for a time occupied Sidney Rigdon's place as a member of the first presidency of the church. When the break came between Bennett and the prophet, the latter fully appreciating the power of Bennett to do harm, immediately proceeded to forestall the use of that power as far as possible, and this in ways which must have been humiliating to Bennett almost beyond endurance. In return, Bennett used voice and pen most persistently and effectively against Joseph Smith and all the interests with which he was identified. That Smith was fully alive to the danger from this quarter, and that it was not imaginary, appears from the fact that, at his suggestion, a special conference assembled at Nauvoo in August 1842, for the purpose of calling a number of elders to go out in different directions, and by their preaching deluge the states with a flood of truth, to allay the excitement which had been raised by the falsehoods put in circulation by John C. Bennett and others. Nearly four hundred men volunteered to undertake this work. The prophet himself had been hiding for three weeks immediately preceding this conference, his whereabouts being unknown to his people, on account of Bennett's activities. From Smith's journal we learn that he had been in Nauvoo during the entire period. End of chapter 1 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama